the great Zen master, Dogen, the founder of the Soto school of Zen Buddhism in Japan, once declared, to be enlightened is to be intimate with all things. The air we breathe, the wind that blows around us, the earth we walk upon, the relationships we are in, and the communities we belong to are the very substance of our awakening to life or, conversely, our falling asleep. I'd like to suggest tonight that in light of this teaching from Dogenji, we can assert that he would have definitely loved a rather famous teaching from another great teacher, referred to lovingly by Hasidim as the Groysa Magid, the Magid of Mezrich, the great Magid the Great, teacher of Dovber of Mezrich. Commenting on this week's Torah portion, where we are introduced to the trumpets, the Torah introduces us to trumpets. They are to be made of silver, kesef, and let them be two chatzotzrot, two trumpets. We'll get to what they were used for in a moment. But famously, the Magid said, playfully misreading the word in Hebrew for trumpet, chatzotzrot, trumpet, as chatzitzura. Did you hear that misreading? Playfully misread? I hope I did it justice. Chatsi tsura. Chatsot's wrote trumpets, trumpets. Chatsi tsura. Half a form. Tsura is a form. Chatsi is half. The Magid said that the entire universe is made up of two halves of form that are kesef, the word in Hebrew for silver. Kesef also is related to the word in Hebrew for yearning, kisuf. The trumpets here, he says, are teaching us about the nature of reality. All things are partial, and they yearn to be completed. Two halves of form that yearn for completion. This teaching is brought down in many forms itself. This past Thursday night in our ongoing class, called Omek, where we study the work of another great Hasidic Rebbe, the Morenayim, the Light of the Eyes, the Chernobyl Rebbe. He had a different way of framing the same teaching. He wrote, All things yearn for their other half, for that which completes them, for as the body needs the soul, all things await our intention. All things await our soulfulness, all things await our interiority and our passion. I think the Soto Zen Rebbe would have been happy with that teaching. Dogen said that all things have a desire for intimacy and that to be enlightened is to be intimate with all things. In the language of the Magid, in the language of the Morinayim, that every form has another half, another form which seeks union. 
So at the core, both of them are saying that intimacy is the core of our faith. Intimacy is the beginning and the end of what we yearn for. Into me you see, someone once said. Into me you see. That there is a depth to all things. The Balatanya once said that there's no word in Hebrew for inanimate object. When we say a thing in Hebrew, we say a davar, a thing. Davar, a thing. Davar and dibur, everything speaks. All of reality is awaiting someone who would come along and hear its song. And if we allow ourselves to investigate for a moment what keeps us from intimacy, we will discover that often at the core of what blocks intimacy is an expectation, a fantasy, a thought, an ideal image. That against the background of our disappointing present always leaves us yearning for more. We condemn ourselves to a cycle of disillusionment over and over and over again. And the traditions say over to us. It is closer to you than your own jugular. The matter is very close at hand. Whenever we lose sight of what is already given to us, when we are swept away from an awareness of the blessed presence, we wind up often somewhere else entirely. And if this is true of us individually, if the goal of each and every one of us, the tradition teaches, is to cultivate an intimacy with all things, that's what enlightenment is. The Morinayim, the Magid, Dogenji. If intimacy is the summum of all of our spiritual seeking, then it's also true for us collectively that in groups that we find ourselves in, it is that desire for intimacy which is the spiritual core of what pulls us together into a tzibur, into a sangha, into a collective. What does it take to be intimate? So we expose the fantasy, we expose the idealized image But more than anything, it takes the courage, as we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, to look at the messy things, to be willing to hold the ground as we wished to run. It means not recycling past sufferings and schlepping them into the present moment. It means allowing ourselves to have new experiences. I know this past week on a Wednesday night, I went to a play called provocatively, hoax a cost. A number of members of our community, Andrew Finkel, Jonathan Pillett, Ivy Kaufman, Ivy Kaufman, are very involved in this production. And without getting into the details, it's a very provocative and powerful play. Essentially, it is a play about Jewish identity and what Jewish identity would look like without the Holocaust, if we could imagine such an identity. Would we want such an identity? Could it be even possible? And more than anything, without getting to the details of it, more than anything, what struck me was this play was about heresy. That in the 16th century, in the 17th century, in various communities, there were heresies that you could be excommunicated for. There were things that if you said them, you no longer belonged in the community. The community could not contain it, couldn't hold it. If you were a pantheist, let's say, like Spinoza, if you didn't believe that God wrote the Torah, 
There's a long list of heresies. And this play was essentially saying that a community is only as strong as that which it can allow to be spoken. A community is only as intimate, it's only as interior as the courage it takes to look inside, to be able to say what can't be said or shouldn't be said, or we're afraid if it's said. An intimate community is a community where you and I walk into shul and it's not the rabbi's responsibility to inspire me. An intimate community is where I take full responsibility for going inside. An intimate community is where it isn't the usher's or the greeter's responsibility to greet people and to say, hi, how are you? It's so good to have you here. Are you new? If you're not new, it's great to see you. I haven't seen you in two days. An intimate community is a community that when difficult things arise, when the messy things inevitably arise, because the closer we get to intimacy, the more afraid we are. That is true individually. It's true collectively. A community can only be as intimate as the courage it takes for them to face the difficult things in the community. I sometimes wonder where Romamu is going to go. All this week, I met person after person who said to me, wow, Rabbi, Romamu is growing. I wonder, are you going to maintain the intimacy? That was the word, all week. Is it going to be intimate in two years, three years, four years? It was only 50 people a couple of years ago. I liked it then when it was 50 people. Even though you couldn't get paid a salary and you couldn't keep the lights on for more than a week, I had another person this week who called me and said, you know, Rabbi, I sent you an email a couple of months ago and I was in a really bad place and you never got back to me. And I was so broken when I heard that. Of course, I didn't do it on purpose. It happens when, when you're growing. It happens when your community is getting a little bit bigger. Things fall through the cracks, unfortunately. And so I said to the person, I said, you know, My friend, we've been friends for a while. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I can do to make amends. But I hope that our relationship is strong enough for you to knock on my door and tell me how I can make amends. A community... Oh, he did. (laughs) It scares me when people sometimes say, you know... I really love the way you do Kabbalah Shabbat, David. We've been doing it for that way for four years. I'm not so into the new tunes. <laughs> and I'm happy that they say it, and I'm happy to say to them, you'll stretch and we'll grow. <laughs> what keeps me awake at night is wondering about the nature of intimacy. I wonder, along with Dogen, if all of us who go to this shul or to that shul, to this church or to that church, can make a commitment to bring the other half to where we go to shul, to the community that we find ourselves in. If we can take ownership and responsibility to be 
that which we wish right, someone else could make us. I wonder if together we can contemplate how the intimacy that we desire with all things starts with a commitment from us to stay the course. In the good times, in the bad times, especially in the bad times, to be radically honest. And above all, above all, to not be satisfied with the external outside of things. We have to keep looking for a doorway in. We have to keep looking for places to kneel and kiss the ground. I wanted to finish with a poem from Rumi. Today is like every other day. We wake up sometimes empty and frightened. But don't open the door to the study and begin reading. Take down the dulcimer and let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. May God give us the strength to kneel and kiss the ground we are on, appreciating what it really is. May we recognize our collective responsibility to cultivate intimacy. And may we be blessed to know that in all things there is a yearning for intimacy. And let us say, Amen.